This morning, I have come with a powerful principle. One principle from the Bible. And it will affect how you interact with God. It will affect how you respond to God. It will affect how you collaborate with God. And usually, I would just take you right to Acts 8, starting right now, and we would gradually unfold from there this principle until it finally became clear. But this morning, I don't have time for that because I need every moment to show you how this principle applies to your life. So I'm going to give it to you right here, right now. Here it is. God is seeking you even more than you are seeking God. God is seeking you even more than you are seeking God. Now take a moment, if you would, and just turn and look at the person next to you for a second. Register who that is sitting next to you. And here's the corollary. God is seeking that person even more than that person is seeking God. So during my sermon, if I say something that is especially relevant for them, you don't need to elbow them because God has got it. (laughs) Now, let me start to apply this. And how this principle applies to your life depends on where you are with God. I want to apply it to two groups of people. The first group, you're here this morning and you are interested in God. That's why you're here. You have some background with Christianity. You have some background with church. But you have some questions. You've had some bad experiences with church and with Christians. You you don't have all of your questions and your concerns answered. And so you're not all committed. You're not 100% in. And you know that. Well, what what does it mean for you that God is seeking you even more than you are seeking God? I'll tell you, it means that God will arrange circumstances in your life to get your attention. It means God will bring into your life people that you're like, I don't even know how this person got into my life, who will bring you one step closer to faith in God. It means that God will do everything in his power to bring circumstances together such that you can make a full and free commitment to him, even if you aren't especially seeking God. My younger brother, Alan, when he was in high school, was not exactly your model Sunday school student. No. In fact, he was the number two dealer in our high school. And one Easter Sunday rolled around, and my parents said, why don't you come to church with us this Sunday? And they were sort of leaning on him because he was still in high school and he was still living in their home. And he's like, I don't want to go. And they're like, oh, like, just do it for us. Just, it's Easter. Just come with us. So very reluctantly, like a dog being taken to the vet, he went to church with them. And during that service, a man who was one of the elders of that church stood up. He's probably in his early 70s, a man named Art Williams. And here's what he said. He said, I have been a Christian for over 35 years, and I have never said anything like this. But I believe the Spirit of God is prompting me to say to someone here this morning, you know all about God. 
You have all the information you need, but you've been delaying, you've been pushing him away, and he's telling you this morning is your last chance. And my brother Alan told me, when I heard that, my heart started pounding in my chest. Because I thought about my friend who had just overdosed three weeks before that. And I thought about my other friend who two months ago had killed himself while driving under the influence. And I realized, this really is my last chance. And so when Art gave that invitation and said, come up here and we will pray with you, he said, I was the first one there. Today, he's in his late 40s, he's married, he's got four kids, he's still walking with Jesus. In fact, this summer, he's going to take his classic scout motorcycle and ride it across the country to raise money for a ministry that fights human trafficking. He's gone from destroying people's lives to rescuing them because God was seeking out him even more than he was seeking out God. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm, whoa, <laughs> I think I'm like that, let me tell you, you can run, but you cannot hide. <laughs> God knows where you live. He has good for you. <laughs> but he will not leave you alone. He will, he's a gentleman. He will not violate your freedom. But he will consistently and persistently and irresistibly woo you back to himself. And, and the right thing for you to do as that becomes clear to you is to respond. It's to take one step back toward the God who has taken so many steps toward you. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that this very morning. Now, the others of you who are here, how does this principle apply that God is seeking you or the people in your life even more than they are seeking God? You say, hey, I'm, I'm a committed Christian. I'm like your brother is now. I'm all in. Somewhere in your life, there's someone that you love and you would love to see them come to Christ. It hurts you, honestly, when you see their life. You go, oh, man, you could have so much more purpose in your life. You, 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 could, you could have so much more forgiveness and freedom from bitterness in your life. You could have so much more hope and dignity in your life if you would just come to God. And, 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 and so maybe you, you, at times you've kind of pushed it with them and you've kind of given them more than they were ready for because you were so eager to see them come to God. Or maybe you tried that and that didn't work, so you backed way off and you're like, I'm checking out. I'm not going to worry about that person anymore. I guess they're not ready. Well, let me tell you something. If God is seeking them even more than they're seeking God, you don't have the luxury of just disengaging because God may want to use you as part of his seeking work. Nor do you have the, the, the responsibility to do it all, to try to push it and control it and engineer it because God's at work and he's seeking them even more than you are. And this is what I want to show you from Acts chapter 8. And as we go through this, I want to highlight three sort of principles that we can learn from Philip, who's this believer helping somebody else come to faith and see what he does and learn from that. Would you turn to Acts 8 with me, please? And we're going to begin at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and Philip's uh, an early Christian church leader, his job is to run the food program for the poor. And he says, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, 
I don't know what Philip thought, but I know what I would have thought if I got this sudden impression from the Lord that I'm supposed to go to some highway. I'd be like, um, God, I've got stuff to do. Like, you told me to run this food program for the poor widows here. What, am I supposed to just stop that for right now? And besides, it's not, I mean, this is a highway out in the desert. Not that many people go down this thing. I'm going to be out there. I don't even know who I'm going to run into. And when I do, how will I even know what it is I'm supposed to do there? If you and I are going to be part of God's seeking work in someone else's life, here's the first thing we need to know. We need to be open to the promptings of God. Because sometimes God's going to ask us to do something and it's a little out beyond us. How open are we? Now, I, saw, I know some of you, you're like, yeah, that promptings thing. I don't really do that. You know, that's for my Pentecostal friends. I, I, I don't do that. I'm more Presbyterian. I like it more decently and in order and kind of by the book. I don't do that. Well, let me tell you something. At the bottom of my job description, and maybe yours too, if you go all the way down to the bottom, in fine print, there's these words, and other duties as assigned. <laughs> and those five words seem innocuous enough, but they will take you to places you weren't planning to go. I learned this five years ago when, against all odds, Resurrection won an auction for this building. It was an abandoned plastics factory and needed to turn it into a church. And shortly after that, Stuart and Catherine came into my office and sat down which should have been a clue. And they said to me, they said, hey, we've, we've decided we need a staff member who will be a point person for this construction project. And I go, well, I will pray that you find just the right person. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we were thinking of you. And I go, no, no, because look at my job description. I, I came here to preach and to lead adult formation. And they said, and other duties as a sign. <laughs> Well, listen, when you and I start to follow God, he gives us a job description, and on it, it says, and other duties as a sign. It means that God will sometimes prompt you and ask you to do things that are outside your zone. And all of a sudden, you find yourself somewhere, you're like, what am I doing here? He quickly finds out, verse 27. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians, this guy is probably not from Ethiopia. That's a biblical term, probably meaning Sudan. He's Sudanese. And so he's African, and he's a highly placed financial officer in that government, which, by the way, was a very wealthy kingdom at that time. So he's like Fed board chair Janet Yellen, okay? And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's got some interest in the God of the Jews. And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, and the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Here's the, like, the first prompting got him to the right road. Now the second prompting gets him to the right limousine. And notice this, that God's prompting is going to take him across cultural lines. First of all, it's across class lines. This guy is so wealthy. He's so powerful. Philip's on foot. This guy's in an elegant carriage out of the sun. This guy is an African. Philip's a Hebrew. This guy's a pagan Gentile with some interest in the God of the Jews, but he's not a Jew. Philip's been born and raised a Jew. He's got to cross over all these boundaries, right? Are you willing to take some risk to be part of God's seeking work in somebody else's life? Follow those promptings. Some years ago, uh, an author named Mark Middleberg came to visit Christianity Today when I was working there. And Mark has written a book, maybe some of you have read it, it's called Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's all about evangelism. And 
I hadn't read the book because, hey, evangelism often feels awkward. And so uh, I was talking with Mark, though, that day, and he said, you know, sometimes what happens is that there's somebody in your life and, and God has put you into that person's life and they're in your life, and God all of a sudden prompts you and says, this one's for you. This is a person I want you to help lead back to me and don't duck it, don't avoid it. This one's for you. Well, that was kind of convicting to me, but I quickly tried to squirm out of it. And I said, well, I've got a situation in my life, and I'm clearly not the one. Can I tell you about it? I said, my wife's grandmother, her name is Margaret, but we all call her Lala. She is nearing the end. And I've been very concerned about her, and I've been praying for her, but I know I'm not the one, because I live here in Illinois. She's out there in Maryland. And, and besides, I'm young, she's old, she's not going to listen to somebody like me, and I have never talked about faith with her. I get the impression she's not that open, and besides, it's kind of a family culture that you don't talk about private stuff like that. So I know that I'm not the one. And Mark looked at me and goes, oh yeah, you're the one. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever had this experience where someone's talking and suddenly the room closes down in and you can't hear anything else. You can, but, but it's like God is talking through the person and you know it's God. I didn't even say another word because I was like, oh my, I know this is God and I can't get out of it. I can't avoid it. I've got to take this seriously. What am I going to do? God, when you follow his promptings, may take you across some boundary lines that are real. But he doesn't seem to notice that the way we do. Now, miracle number three. There was the angel, there was the Holy Spirit, is that this person has been already made by God quite receptive. Philip ran up to the chariot, verse 30, and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. This guy's already interested in trying to figure out the life with God. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, it's remarkable enough that this guy is so interested in the God of the Jews that he has actually purchased what is extremely expensive and rare for any individual to own, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he's reading it. He's that hungry to figure it out. And what's even more amazing is he's so receptive that instead of going, look, I've got money, I've got power, I understand finance, I understand politics, I'm in the carriage, you're on foot, I don't even know who you are, I don't know why I would listen to you. This guy is so humble, he's so hungry that he's like, if you know, come on up and tell me. He's been made ready. Sometimes people in your life, they're so ready, they're just like this big red ripe apple, just a little touch of breeze, and boom, they fall off the tree. Because God's been at work. It's just we cooperate with what he's doing. And notice what Philip does. This is the second thing that Philip does. Not only is he open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but number two, he asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, I find a lot of times with us, we, we either say nothing, we're like, well, there's this culture war going on and I don't want to unnecessarily offend and they're probably not that open to Christianity and we just disconnect and stay out of it. Or we kind of hyperdrive and go, this is my chance and we start preaching. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, you know? And they're not ready for that. But they might be ready for a question. You see how a question opens things up? It doesn't preach at the person, it just opens them up. And Philip's like, do you understand what you're reading? That's not offensive. It's just, well, maybe I could help then. I, with, with my wife's grandmother, I was like, well, what question do I really want to ask her? And it became really clear to me. 
But what I wanted to say to her was, Lala, you've had a long, full life, and now you and I both know that it's coming to its end. Do you know that you're ready to meet God? Really? And I didn't know what she would say. And I wanted to know that. That was the question I had for her. And I found this little article that was written by a doctor, and she had a lot of respect for medical doctors, so I knew that would be helpful, and it was short. And it was from a Christian doctor who sometimes when he would have to give diagnoses to people that were terminal, he would say, and do you know, are you ready to die? And he said, so often, people say, oh, I think so, or I hope so. And he said, you know, when you're facing death, that's really not good enough. You could know so. And through Jesus Christ, there's been made a way where you can know that you're ready to meet God. You don't have to go wondering. And so I took that and I put it in the mail and I sent it off to her. What question could you ask of that person in your life? If God gives you the prompting in the Holy Spirit, then your next step is to ask the question. And then third, and this is the last thing I want to point out, Philip just responds to what's going on. Verse 32. The passage of scripture the eunuch was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, this is a very sobering passage, but when the early Christians heard this story right there, they would start laughing because of this. I looked it up. In the prophet Isaiah, there are 1,291 verses. And you could not pick two verses that are more clearly explicit of the work of Jesus Christ in dying for you and for me than this right here. It'd be like you're on a plane and the person next to you, you overhear them go, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Who's the only begotten? Yeah, you'd be going, oh, come on, that doesn't happen. That's a gimme. But God's working in this guy and the gimme is right there. And so Philip just responds because the eunuch's like, tell me, please, who's this prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and tells him the good news about Jesus. And he says, do you understand that Jesus was silent before his accusers so that your mouth could be filled with praise? Do you understand that his life was taken away from him so that yours could be given back to you? Do you understand that he was rejected utterly so that you could be fully accepted by God? And all of a sudden, boom, it goes on. The light turns on for this eunuch because why is he not yet a full convert to the God of Israel? Because he can't be. Deuteronomy 23.1, no eunuch shall enter the assembly of the Lord. When he goes up to Jerusalem, he's standing out in the court of the Gentiles as far away as you can get from the inner holy of holies. But now, Philip explains through Jesus Christ the curtain's been torn in two and you can be ushered into the immediate and direct presence of God there's nothing holding you back and that's why in verse 36 he says it in such an interesting way what can stand in the way of my being baptized I could never be circumcised and come into the Jewish community and be a full member but now you're telling me I can be baptized I can be a Christian I can be all in with God there's nothing holding me back I'm getting down into that water when somebody's ready, they're ready. And this guy is so ready. Praise God. I called my mom. I said, Mom, I sent this article off to Lala. And would you go up the street and visit her and just see if she got it and uh, find out how she's doing with that? 
So my mom went, and there lying on the bedside table was the envelope and the little article pulled out of it. And uh, Lala wasn't able to talk really well or easily, but my mom said, you know, hey, did you get the article from Kevin? And she nodded. And were you able to read it and, and think about that? And she nodded again. And my mom just asked her, you know, are you, are you ready to meet God? Do you want to know for sure that you're ready today to meet the Lord? And she nodded again. And so my mom said, you know, I know it's hard for you to talk, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to say a simple prayer. And if that prayer is the desire of your heart, then when I'm done, what I want you to do is just squeeze my hand. And I'll know from your squeeze that that's what you want to pray to. And she said, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to become your child. I I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to be welcomed into heaven. I I, I want to know for sure through you that I'm right with God. Amen. And there was the biggest squeeze. When somebody's ready, they want to get in. And you and I can be a part of it. And and, and instead of checking out or instead of taking control and trying to engineer the whole thing, all we have to do is be responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And then when the opportunity is right, we ask a question. And then we respond to wherever the person is at that time. You know, that's a kind of evangelism I can live with. That's a kind of evangelism that I want to live with. Why would you not be part of that? Why would you not want to have the joy of seeing somebody come to Christ? Because God is in the midst of doing things in their life. He's seeking them so much, he's going to every length. Look, he finally does one final miracle to just put an exclamation point on this. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again. Can you imagine? You come up, where'd he go? Where did that guy go? Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. That is 20 to 30 miles north of there. It would be like I'm standing right here and all of a sudden, poof, I'm gone, and then I'm all of a sudden standing outside of Palatine High School. Like, whoa, this does not happen a lot in the Bible, but it does happen some. It happens to the prophet Elijah, and of course Jesus in his resurrected body does this fairly often. And he's giving that resurrection power to Philip, and he's doing it not just to show off, he's doing it for this reason, to confirm the faith of this brand new believer who's going 1,700 miles back to Sudan to a country where there's not one other believer, and he needs to reassure this guy, this is the real thing. This is the God of heaven. This is the dramatic move of God in your life. Hold on to this. And so he he adds one more miracle, one more exclamation point. Now, how about you? I don't know what God's going to do for this person that he's seeking who's in your life. But I can tell you this. He's seeking them even more than that person is seeking God. And you and I get the privilege of being responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, asking questions, coming alongside and responding, and being a part of what God is doing. And when we do that, we're going to see some amazing things. Now, I have to close with just this. Maybe you're here and you were in that first group of people that I was talking about, and you, you aren't all in yet. That's okay. I'm really glad you're here. But I am going to invite you to take one step toward the God who has taken so many steps toward you. And I'm not going to control that. I'm going to give you three options. And I would like you to choose one, though. And I would like you to do it. 
So here's your three options. This Ethiopian finance official, he's trying to read the Bible to figure it out, the story of God. I invite you to do that. Right back there on those tables, it, through the center doors, there's a stack of free Bibles. They're in an easy-to-read translation. They've got a really simple reading plan tucked in there that you can use. Take one. You don't have to stop and talk to anybody. It's free. Just grab it and go. Maybe that's not the step for you. Maybe you're ready to ask questions like this guy did of Philip, like, what's this about? I don't understand this. I don't understand that. Email me. Ask me your question. Kevin at churchres.org. I'm a manic emailer. I promise I'll respond. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to talk with you about it, wherever you are. And I'll go only as far as you, you want to go, and you're ready to go. But some of you here this morning, I wonder if actually you're like, no, I, I know, I'm ready, I've been putting it off, but I don't need to anymore. What would stand in the way of me getting all in now? You can do it this morning. This morning can be the beginning of a new life for you with God, the God who's been seeking you so patiently, the God who will not let you go. We're going to have a communion time later, and there's going to be people standing along that wall and that wall. I want you to just get up from where you're sitting. There's going to be lots of people moving around. They won't know why you're moving. And just go over and talk to one of them and tell them that you want to come to God, the God who's seeking you even more than you're seeking God.